Hey, before we get into this week's episode, Marvel just released Wolverine The Long Night, their first ever scripted podcast for free. For free. It starts when a fishing boat is found drifting off the coast of Alaska. But that's not the end. It continues when two special agents arrive to find out what killed the crew. Their first suspect is a mysterious drifter named Logan. Oh, yeah. It stars Richard Armitage as Wolverine with Scott Adsit and Chris Gethard. Listen to Wolverine the Long Night for free in apps like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or visit wolverinepodcast.com for more info. Now, on to Marvel's The Pull List. Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's The Pullist, and I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And this week, unlike any other week, we're going to talk about the books on sale September 12th, 2018. How about that, Tucker? I'm changing it up. You know what? In a way, you're right, because guess what? There is only one September 12th, 2018, and we're only doing one episode for it. That's right. So, boom. Yeah. Get ready. Strap in. Yeah. I will say one thing. Reading these books took me away from playing Marvel Spider-Man for PlayStation 4. That was difficult, but I love comic books. And that Spider-Man game, (laughs) so good. What a week for us. Uh, But you know what? I figure, why don't we just dive into the books, and then then we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, play it it by ear. Let's start with the webhead himself. It's a big week for the dude, so we're kicking it off with The Amazing Spider-Man number five. It's written by Nick Spencer with pencils by Ryan Otley. Inks by Cliff Rathburn and Ryan Otley. Colors by Laura Martin and letters by VCs Joe Carmagna. This is Back to Basics Part 5. Hard to believe. It felt like it just started and we are zooming into Nick Spencer's run on The Amazing Spider-Man. And here we are already with issue number five. It's really interesting to see where he has kind of, of course, as the title of the arc says, Back to Basics, kind of done an interesting little reset in a manner of speaking with Pete and MJ. And first page, we get that. And it's so great to see that, but also to see that classic struggle that they always have to kind of split the life of Peter versus uh, Spider-Man. And uh, yeah, there's some really great stuff. I love this bold first arc that Nick has taken us on with the two Peters, the two Spideys, who knows? Well, what I like about it is that it it is really all about power and responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's what this issue, this arc has Mm -hmm. been. And really, then you look at the dynamics of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Spidey is best when the Peter and the Spidey stories collide. Mm -hmm. When those two things are working together and coming together that's really when you see some of the best Spider-Man overall. And that's, you know, it's like literally what's happening yeah. here because the two halves have been split apart. Mm-hmm. So having them work together, it's it's it was really cool. Plus the creepy dude with the giant bugs. <laughs> I hate him. Yeah. I hate him so much. Yeah. He's so yeah. gross. <laughs> okay. Next book is Champions number 24, written by Jim Zub, art by Sean Isaacs, colors by Marcio Menez and Eric Arciniega, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Now, if you haven't heard, in this issue, the team deals with a school shooting that closely affects Miles. 
we always talk about Marvel being the like the world outside your window, and Marvel's always put spins on real-world events and issues. In the 70s, Marvel actually ditched the Comics Code Authority for a few issues mm -hmm. in order to tell a Spider-Man story about drug abuse. And then, you know, there were stories uh, that our creators told following the events of 9-11 that affected them, so that affected the work that they put out, and countless more. It's been mm -hmm. that way for so long. And it's tricky. It's a tough thing to do. You know, thankfully, Jim and the team handled it well, focusing not on the act of the school shooting, but on the repercussions, the ways it affects Miles and the team and the regular people. I know comics are escapism and it's good to have our stories in those ways, but it's also good to find ways to think and talk about these issues and these things affecting all of us. Uh, Sean's art in particular, I think, conveys the struggle that Miles and Kamala and Riri all deal with in their own ways. He's so good with facial expressions and body language. And the scene with Kamala and Miles, especially that panel of them sitting together, just so mm -hmm. terrific. Yeah, yeah, it's really beautiful. And it's a really incredible issue. It's a really unique issue. Uh, and uh, yeah, definitely check it out. Next up, though, we have Daredevil, number 608. It's written by Charles Soule with art by Phil Noto and letters by Clayton Cowles. Also, Love this cover by Phil Noto. One of my favorites of the week has a great Daredevil logo in the kind of New York City subway kind of uh, thing. Font? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Style? It's like a... The style of the subways. Yeah. The style of the subways with Ryan and Tucker. Hey, so you know, I saw this rap the other day. He was like, hey. And I was like... Yeah. I love watching tourists like look at the rats like, oh my God, a yeah. rat. It was it's... like literally every city, there's rats. Whether right. you see them or not, our rats are yeah. just out and proud and I love them. <laughs> uh, no rats in uh, on this cover here, but a lot of action. And uh, we're continuing on with the Mike Murdoch storyline. That's right. Mike, not Matt. Mike. It is his brother? It's a lot of weirdness going on. This is a callback. We spoke about it the last issue. This is a callback to uh, uh, just a kind of random couple of issues from way back in Daredevil history. Charles is pulling in Mike Murdoch now as a different character than what he was before, which was just another goofy alias that Matt was using because one wasn't enough. So uh, he's pulling it in now. There is a guy named Mike. He's dangerous. He's bad. We also see Bushwhacker? Man, so I have this weird thing about characters who have guns for arms. Yeah. Like, they have these weird organic cybernetic- This freaked me out, too. He's so, it's so gross. Yeah. It's so weird. It's His arm is cybernetics, I believe, but it's right. flesh color. Yeah, exactly. Which That's makes the worst it part. so much worse. Yes. And there's this character named Random, uh, who is an X-Men like X Men character, and he has a mutant ability to turn his arm into like a- giant blaster mm -hmm. and it like those characters always freak me yeah. out but something else we want to dig into is domino number six uh and this is written by gail simone art by david baldeon colors by jesus Arbutov, letters by clayton cowles and i played the deadpool 2 movie on both of my recent flights mm -hmm. last week and i loved zasi beats as domino but nothing better than current comics dom i think she is being written so well by Gail Simone, but also in, you know, the Weapon X book by Greg and Fred. Like, I think she's having a real great moment. And this issue is a big one for her. We've got crucial decisions, this epic encounter with the person who scares her the most, which I thought was really, really neat, like that touch and watching her, like, watch the fear hit her because she's 
like, oh, the luck's going to save me is, is sort of this thing. But mm-mm, no, no, no. It is a killer end to that first arc. Two things that I really love about what Gail's doing, how she gives Nina the strong core base of friends that are both believable and engaging. Like you feel like they're real people and you wish you had them on your side. You wish that they had their own. I wish that they had their own series, like seeing Diamondback and uh, Outlaw getting Mm -hmm. Domino's back Mm -hmm. makes me happy. It makes me cheer every time they show up. And then Gail puts Dom into this no win situation and has to have her make a decision. And we, you know, see what that means to and for Domino. And that's a tough thing to do. And making her take those risks is a really important storytelling move. And it works out really well. Not always the best thing, but narratively, it is fantastic. Plus, David Balian can literally draw anything. Uh, There's fun bonus material with some pages on character redesigns that David did Mm. in the back, which is neat. Next up is Exiles number eight. It's written by the... Absolutely, what's a good adjective starting with S? Stupendous. Stupendous. Solid in a mid. With guest pencils by Joe Quinones and guest inks by Joe Rivera and Joe Quinones. With colors by Jordan Gibson, Chris Sotomayor, and Munsa Vicente. With Joe Quinones and letters by another Joe. This is VC's Joe Caramagna. Oh boy. We are on trial. We are being judged. We are being watched. The exiles are on trial with the Watchers. Yeah. Whoa. Like the Watchers are like, we don't interfere, but we're yeah. going to judge you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bunch of jerks. Yeah. yeah. Punch uh, them in their mushy faces. Uh, yeah. These dudes are, they're kind of like rogue Watchers and uh, they do not. They're probably also rogue watchers they probably watch rogue because they're a bunch of creeps yes, sorry are. i'm in a big anti-watcher <laughs> mood right now um yeah so the exiles are on trial they you know have been traveling across the multiverse doing a bunch of stuff that the watchers say eh, not allowed to do that they've kind of maintained a presence throughout this entire series so far but now they're really getting involved uh, in a big way. It's really fun here to journey into the pasts of each of these characters from characters that we started out the series with and characters that we've picked up along the way and uh, to hear their backstories, to hear that they, how they ended up in this team, how they ended up with their respective uh, superhero mantles. Wolvie is all told in great Wolvie cartoon style. It is so much fun. The best is that first panel of Wolvie's origin mm-hmm. where he starts talking and the image is of his claws and it looks like there's blood dripping from his claws. So you've got this cute little cartoon Wolvie and it looks like he's talking about how he's murdered someone but then he's stuffed full of having eaten too much jam. Yeah. Because he's so cute. Because <laughs> he ate a bunch of donuts. He's the best. Uh, it's really cool. There is a bunch of great Peggy Carter stuff. Uh, there is... Peggy Carter, Captain America yes. back. So good. That's a big deal. Yeah, it's great. Uh, a character that made her debut via Marvel Games. Yeah. Uh, which is really cool. And... Uh, so she's in the comics here, something that I know a lot of people are really excited about. Uh, it's yeah. a fun jumping on point, too, because yeah. you get to see the the history and you get a little sampling of what makes all the characters great. And uh, yeah, next issue, I believe Javier Rodriguez comes back. Mm-hmm. We get next adventure. So good. Exiles is one of my favorite books. Also one of my favorite books. And we're only on issue number two. Is Fantastic Four number two. It's one of my picks of the week. Written by Dan Slott. Art by Sarah Pakelli. With inks by Sarah and Elisabetta D'Amico. With colors by Marta Gracia. Letters by Joe Caramagna. And, oh man. They say 
you don't fully appreciate what you have until it is gone, Tucker. Mm-hmm. You know? But that is Fantastic Four right now. Everybody is coming back and they're like, wow, I forgot how much I love Fantastic Four. And when Fantastic Four is on hot damn, it is just the best. It's firing all cylinders here. Uh, For anyone asking uh, where and what and when have Reed and Sue and the kids been doing the last few years, this is the book that answers those questions. And if you're new to the Fantastic Four, there's lots of characters in here. Don't let that intimidate you. It is all beautiful, wonderful fun. And we get to see, you know, Reed and Sue, plus the kids, Franklin and Valeria, plus Owen Reese, the Molecule Man, whom I love. You've got the Future Foundation, which is basically a group of brilliant kids from all corners of the Earth. Then you have Dragon Man, a sweet robot who is a dragon and a man, but also just totally a robot. So put all of that together. He's sort of like their school marm, and he takes care of everybody. Love Dragon Man. Uh, They're out creating universes after the death of everything through Secret Wars. We see that a little time has passed, though, since the events of Secret Wars and where we are now. So Franklin and Val, they're getting a little bit older. Val's into this Namori boy, uh, which is provide some of my favorite parts to this book yeah. because Sue is doing the narration and she's like, oh, something about him reminds me uh, of Namor. It is wonderful. And you see she's attracted to Namor. Well, Val is attracted to this boy and Reed <laughs> figures that out. And after a couple minutes, he's like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> it's really funny. Dan crushes it. Sarah kills it with the art, especially as she has the body language that she has for Val and, and the prince as they're like flirting with each other. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. So good. Uh, but this isn't space team good time hour. No, there is danger and threats abound. Uh, there's, there's heartbreak and horror in this issue, but also hope. Mm-hmm. That's so important because uh, you need hope. With the Fantastic Four. That is what they're one of the many things that they're all about. So good. I love this book. Got chills reading it. Loved it so much. But now we're moving on. How did you not make a chills segue joke? Oh. Tucker. Oh Tucker. no. Tucker. <laughs> uh uh I've got chills. They're multiplying, baby, because we are reading <laughs> we are reading Iceman number one, and it's my pick of the week it is written by Cinegrace with art by Nathan Stockman colors by Federico Blee and letters by VCs Josephina he's back Bobby back Drake again. is back he's back back again Bobby Drake and the adventures that he goes on are bursting at the seams ready uh it's really great to see uh just beyond metaphor in a way that i feel is almost kind of really you can really feel it on the page Cena and his love for Iceman, you can feel it. It's He's just been waiting to get back into this character and into the story. And in the first few pages, it's just so much action, so much uh, great Bobby Drake tone and uh, dialogue. And it's just a delightful read because, and re- really, as I was going through this issue, I'm reminded of the fact that, you know, I feel like no one can no one can write a comic in 2018 in like such a modern voice in such a modern way like Cena does. He really molds it in a way that is totally true to the characters, totally true to someone like Bishop who features heavily in this issue, but also kind of he puts him in a modern context, in a modern voice. He has his own take on him and that works so so perfectly. So it's like we get to see them go to the Morlocks, mm-hmm. right? And I am very glad 
that Cena and the team tackled the quote, why don't the Morlocks just live in the mansion argument? Because it's a thing I think about a <laughs> yeah, lot. I yeah. think about the Morlocks more than most people should. And why can't the X-Men just buy the Morlocks some farmland <laughs> or a mountain spot somewhere and create a really cool commune? Just like, hey, here you go. We don't need to see you. Do your thing. Yeah. You don't have to live in the sewers. Get a little sunlight. <laughs> it's good for everyone. You've got children living here. Enjoy Life. It's private, but self-sustaining. I don't know. I just want to help the Morlocks. <laughs> uh, yeah, there is some sewer throwdown action here. So much fun to read. Uh, great to see Cena back uh, and love this creative team and really, really looking forward to seeing where this series goes. Also, Ice Shop is my new favorite mm-hmm. uh, team duo name. Mm-hmm. Iceman and Bishop yep. get Ice Shop. <laughs> so good. All right, next up is Infinity Wars number three, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Mike Diodato Jr. with colors by Frank Martin, letters by VCs Corey Petit. The time of the Infinity Warps is upon us. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's here. I'm so that, excited. That's warped with a P, folks. With a P. Uh, Gamora is kind of sort of the most together person with total control of the Infinity Stones we've really ever seen, but... Maybe not, as we see as this starts to unfold. And it's really fun to see Jerry and Dio play with an Infinity story. Jerry is one of, if not the funniest writer we have making comics now. But he also brings tremendous heart and this knack for sadistic story beats to the table. And, you know, I almost picture him as Loki in this story. The one who sees what's going on, laughing at the wildness of the events, desperately trying to pull back the curtain and see who or what shapes reality. And it's through Jerry's derangedness derange (laughs) depravity yes i don't know what are those uh we get to see the warps we see sorcerer supreme weapon hex the wolverine emma frost mashup and so many more do pool yeah do pool do pool yeah what a little creep yeah oh he's so good (laughs) like we need to translate what he's saying seriously yes i love it the next few weeks of tie-ins and continuations are going to be so rad next up we go from the cosmic madness of Infinity Wars 2, something a little scary and creepy with Journey into Mystery, The Birth of Krakoa, number one. And this is Jamie's pick of the week. It's written by Dennis Hopeless, with art by Jabril Morissette Fawn, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. We are journeying into the past here to get a great World War II story with Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. They're on a mission, it goes wrong, they meet an island that talks. Boom. Yeah. Uh, but there's so much creepy, creepy stuff that goes down in between. I love the dumb, dumb stuff. Hey, we were just talking about smart, smart Duggan, Jerry. Well, what about dumb, dumb Dugan? Oh, boy. That's a stretch, Tucker. <laughs> uh, I love anything that involves the old dude and his mustache and his bowler hat. There is some stuff... I think we've spoken about this before, and I think we've actually talked about it when we were breaking down Infinity Gauntlet. The Birds and the Bees? Um, <laughs> no, but let it be known that Ryan is the one who told me about that. Okay, I'm going to tell Just doing my, doing my duty yeah. here. <laughs> uh, but when, like, a character is, like, overtaken by, like, some sort oh. of, like, Ugh. Oh, yes, the, yes. Yeah, and so we see that here. The uh, island is most certainly not what it seems, and it is very, very mysterious, worthy of the title. And there's some creepy, gross, disgusting, like, 
like spine shivering moments in here uh, that we see with the commandos. We see, you know, classic Sergeant Fury doing his uh, heroic best. It is a really, really fun issue. And uh, yeah, cool to see. It's just such a great take on the 1950s Atlas era style horror monster books. Mm -hmm. I think Dennis and the team nail it 100%. Really, really cool. I'm glad we don't often put out just one shots just to be like, hey, here's a cool story. Mm -hmm. Check it out. All right, next book is Marvel Rising Omega, number one, written by Devin Grayson, art by Georges Duarte with Roberto DiSalvo, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and VCs Clayton Cowles on the letters. I have loved the heck out of this series. It has given us a cool new character, this great new team. Arcade's been in it with his giant death traps. It's got tons of video game references and super fun art. Of all the characters, I think... Devin really nailed Squirrel Girl and America best. Those are the ones I think when she was doing those, I was like, yes, mm -hmm. this is so fun. There's a scene of America taking down a giant robot and the panel of her smashing it with the robot's own arm. And she's saying, why are you hitting yourself? It's just <laughs> delightful. Really, it's, really crazy. And, and that is like no small feat, especially with Doreen Green, the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, because I was reading recently people talking about how specific her voice is and how one way or the other it's not quite right. And really with Ryan North, the writer of the, the main series, how you know people are going to be like calling him up in like 80 years and saying, hey, can you give me a tip on how the right way to do this is? And yeah, Devin crushes it. And then there's a moment where we see Squirrel Girl and Tippy go through this whirring crazy buzzsaw obstacle course together. It's so fun. It really is exactly what you said. Hits those notes that we Did need. you say buzzsaw obstacle course? What, what if I just said, Neil? Know what I, mean? I get it. Yeah. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> what is it? The the penit Only the penitent oh. man will pass. Only penitent the penitent man. man will pass. Penitent man. Neil. Oh, yeah. Um, Crash day. We could do a full retelling of it. That's what next week's episode is going to be. Us doing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Line by line, just the two of us. Wow. Uh, let my homage be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky. Thank you. Uh, moving very quickly on to Ms. Marvel, number 34, written by G. Willow Wilson with art by Nico Leon, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is a really unique issue of Ms. Marvel. We don't really get to see something like this that often in this series. We get a journey into the strange, the alternate dimensions, the ultimate realities, the possible futures, everything. On the second page, we get this amazing double page splash of Bruno getting a glimpse at what is possible for both him and Kamala. In the future, we see President of the United States Kamala Khan, which is awesome. We get a little glimpse at Exiles Kamala Khan. There is so much going on. As he takes that journey, Kamala herself is uh, traveling across the multiverse with the Singularity, who... From from one of my books I really loved in the last few years, A-Force. Mm -hmm. So seeing her pop up was a super delight. Really cool. Yeah, yeah, a great character as a singularity as well as being the singularity. It's it's really fun to because she's like this 
super powerful cosmic being, but it's also just kind of just acts like a kid. And it's really, really fun to see that dynamic. Uh, these two storylines go in parallel and then we see them clash in a really, really interesting way. You know, they always put so many little cool touches into the books, Nico and Willow, when they're together. So you got this of just incredible Bill and Ted reference, uh-huh. uh, which made me very happy. Uh, you've got this little hologram Charles Xavier in party mode. Yes. So fun. <laughs> and then look at all the Kamalas. There's just one scene where they're all eating at the same time. It was terrific. This book is the best. Before we go on, a word from our advertiser, Marvel MasterCard. Now, Tucker, hmm. you, you know, you're a romantic guy. Absolutely. A night out, a comic book, streaming, your favorite show. All of these could be earning you cash back rewards. Just use the Marvel MasterCard at marvelmastercard.com slash list. You'll earn 3% cashback rewards on comic books, movies, restaurants, and more with the Marvel MasterCard and 1% cashback rewards on all other purchases. Tucker, there's no limit on the cashback rewards you can earn, all with no annual fee. Enjoy special Marvel benefits like three months of a Marvel Unlimited subscription. And you can choose your superhero from one of six cool card designs like Captain America Shield, Black Panther, and Spider-Man, just to name a couple. Visit marvelmastercard.com slash list to learn more and apply today. marvelmastercard.com slash L-I-S-T. We continue on, and the next book is Old Man Logan, number 47, written by Ed Brisson, with art by Damien Cusiero, with colors by Carlos Lopez, and letters by VCs Corey Petit. Logan feeling sad about killing an alien monster that was scared and trying to simply survive is Solid Logan. Mm-hmm. Like, that's his thing, man. He's like, I don't want to have to kill that thing. But he does it because he's the one who's going to do it if anybody has to. Mm-hmm. I, I like that that's how Ed writes Logan. I'm loving what Ed is doing uh, in the last few issues of Old Man Logan. I'm really excited to see it continue as we move closer towards issue number 50, which is going to be the last one. Oh, man. Where is Logan Gonna go. Dun, dun, dun. Really exciting. But next up is Peter Packer. <laughs> Peter Packer? Hey, we got Mr. Peter Packer here. How you doing, Peter? <laughs> oh, my name's Peter oh. Packer. Okay, look, Spider Geddon is coming up. I really want to see like a, a Wisconsin, <laughs> Minnesota. Oh, yeah. My name's Peter Packer. I was bitten by a radioactive spider, don't you know? This is not Peter Packer. This is Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider Man number 309. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with pencils and colors by Chris Pashalo, inks by Livesay, Al Vey, Tim Townsend, Victor Olazaba, and Wayne Foucher, and letters by VC's Travis Lanham. Speaking of endings, this is Chip's penultimate issue. What? Yeah. How dare he? Uh, yeah. I mean, I have just adored everything he's done over these 15, 20 or so issues on Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man. This little two-issue arc that he is teaming up with Chris Pashalo on focuses in on the Sandman. Issue number 308 was a gorgeous, gorgeous look at their entire kind of relationship and history and all the difficulties going on there, but Sandman was going through some troubles of his own, and it was really emotional and really unexpectedly beautiful, but this issue imports all that, takes all that, and just shoots it into this big throwdown all action issue there is an alternate uh sandman that comes to the fore here and gives spidey all he can it's really cool because chris Pajalo obviously 
one of the greats. He does an incredible job of not just visualizing that massive monster Sandman, but then pulling in the OG back into the mix and doing a Sandman versus Sandman across New York City, Sand Spectacular, with Peter Parker stuck in the middle of it all. And issue number 310 is going to be written and drawn by Chip. It's the Chip special, and uh, I can't wait to see how it wraps up and then how we continue on in a post-Chip world, which is something I never wanted to say or see. Chip's Ahoy, you know what I mean? Chip's Ahoy. Eh, what? You missed that one. Uh, but Chip's Ahoy for other Chip projects that we shall not discuss but no, that are very exciting um i the idea of living forever mm-hmm. like when when you dig into it it's intense mm-hmm. man and that's like that's the sort of the crux of what's going on is like what happens when you live forever what does yeah. that what does that do to you when you have lived for four billion years yeah. everything you've ever known has died You've forgotten more than people will ever know. Mm-hmm. You've seen everything come and go. It's f- fascinating and heartbreaking, and that's that's really what this story digs into. It's real good. Yeah. Also real good is Runaways number 13 this week, written by Rainbow Rowell, art by David LaFuente, colors by Jim Campbell, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Now this is a mega change of pace. This is a big action, big drama issue with Alex Wilder returning. Some large problems along with him. Uh, Alex Wilder, for those of you who did not read the Runaways comics, he was a mem- founding member of the Runaways, part of the team. He sort of betrayed the Runaways in order to save his family from what seemed to be impending doom, but he turned on his people for his other people. And it's a fascinating little uh, story. So he died mm-hmm. in, in those stories, and then he came. we saw him come back in the pages of uh, Power Man and Iron Fist and, you know, reintroduced back into things, possibilities, possibilities, possibilities. But here he's like, boom. And so the dynamic with him back in the mix is neat because most of the team hates and mistrusts him. Ugh, rightfully so, yeah. but they're just like, this guy? No. But he's so charismatic, <laughs> and he's a really good, smart leader. Uh, he's like, can't help but, like, sort of, getting them moving and getting them motivated to get into this fight that they find themselves in. I thought that artist David LaFuente had done some Runaways comics before, but he just uncovers. But I, I love David so much. I, I think uh, I adore him both as a person yeah, and as an artist. Yeah, he slotted in perfectly. Yeah, he yeah, fit in really well. Uh, I highly suggest you check out his Hellcat limited series with writer Catherine Eminen because it's super fun. It's, it's wicked and weird and full of quirk. And that's, you know, that's what he does. His art is chunky and weird and exaggerated all in these really wonderful ways. Uh, and when he draws Old Lace Smiling, it is the <laughs> best. Going to a completely different corner of Marvel Comics, it's time for Star Wars Darth Vader number 21. It's written by Charles Soule with layouts by Giuseppe Camincoli, finishes by Danielle Orlandini, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Oh boy, this is Fortress Vader Part 3. I love any moment when uh, this series delves into the history of Anakin Skywalker and into the mind of Darth Vader or, you know, whatever's left of the man and the mind. In the first few panels of this story, we see, we're not sure, it's a glimpse at the back of the head 
of young Annie, little Annie, from episode one, that Annie. And we kind of are over the shoulder, and there's something creepy happening. And then he turns around, and he has this awful, yeah, awful, this awful, twisted, awful, disgusting, awful. <laughs> Look, awful. We talked awful. about it earlier. I hate it. Where we do not like flesh things that are not supposed to be flesh Dude, things. <laughs> just, I looked at it and I was like, I love you, Giuseppe, but you're a monster. Yeah. This is vile. It uh, freaked me out. This is a. He turns around and it's like a flesh version of Vader's mask. Uh, and Vader then stands looking down at his past self, uh, embodied and molded and kind of disgusting amalgam of the past and the present. Of course, he is on the very ship that we were introduced to, Padme's ship, from episode one that was given to him in the last issue, and he is driving that dude. He's saying, one-way trip, we're going. Yeah. Um, he's like honking the horn. Yeah, he's pedal like a to the metal. Yeah. Like, doo, doo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right because he just hauls butt to Mustafar. Uh, you know, even as the captains of that ship say, hey, dude, maybe slow it down a little bit. Maybe like we'll ease in back into the parking space nice and easy. He's like, uh uh-uh. uh, zoom. He like almost kills everyone. He turns the <laughs> shields off and he's like, yeah. I got this. Yeah. And it turns out he did got this, but it. <laughs> Messed up the ship to yeah. just the precise yeah. level of cooking that yeah. he wanted. Just it's he's kind of crisped it up in a way that you know he seems to enjoy. Anyway, this is about establishing the fortress, the kind of place of uh, meditation and introspection that we were first introduced to in Rogue One, a Star Wars story, the movie where Vader goes and kind of spends his alone time. This is where we see him land on Mustafar and start laying the plans for building that structure, this kind of tuning fork of the dark side and how all the history that he has on that planet and what it does for him, uh, how he uses that dark energy and all those terrible past thoughts. This is a really, really cool start to that. It's love to see these things uh, go across movies and across media, things like that. I want to see what happens when Vader's got yes. his fortress. Nobody's around. Yes. He ain't got no star- stormtroopers around. The Emperor's not around. Like, does he just like <laughs> Get crazy. What does Vader getting crazy on yeah. Mustafar look like? Yeah. I need to know. Yeah, what's his equivalent of just like breaded chicken nuggets for breakfast? Oh, uh, no utensils. <laughs> yeah. Just nightmare monster. Like, it's, it's like a, a Muppet eating. Just yes. like food. Yeah, ever. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, other Star Wars book this week is Star Wars The Last Jedi Adaptation number six written by Gary Witta, art by Michael Walsh and Josh Hickson, colors by Mike Spicer, and letters by VC's Travis Lanham. There's a double-page spread in here, Tucker, that is uh, like Luke's thoughts about finally setting things right, and it's got Luke on crate, right? Is it crate? Mm-hmm. He's about to... He's just revealed himself yeah. to Kylo Ren, and it's just... The way it's done is so beautiful. The lighting, the haze, the framing. This is how I think about this adaptation is they have to find those perfect shots Mm -hmm. and take those from film to comics. There's just certain things you have to do and they really is absolutely nailed here. And then, you know, like that, that battle between Luke and Ben is just full of them. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, uh, we know that the movie was Luke's story. We know that force awakened is Han's story and, uh, the last Jedi is Luke's story, but that is emphasized 
all the way to the nth degree with this adaptation. We see inside of Luke's mind. We get his insights to everything. And the way that Gary wraps up Luke's story in this issue from the movie, it is gorgeous. It, You know what? It almost made me cry. The way that he put it into the larger context of Star Wars, things like that. Here's something fun that happened with Gary Whitta. Oh boy, one of the most exciting things I've gotten to do in a while. I had an hour-long chat with the man. Gave him a phone call, ring-a-ding-ding, and he was just an incredible guy. So much fun to talk to. Did you tell him I said hello? Uh, Absolutely. Did you tell him I like him on uh, Kind of Funny Games Daily? Oh. I know he's a big big, uh, gamer. How dare you? Uh, Well, let's... Look, beat me up off mic, okay? Just not on mic. Anyway, um, I uh, yeah, got to talk to Gary about the adaptation of The Last Jedi. Yeah. Look for that coming soon to Marvel.com. Very, very, very excited about it. Next issue this week is The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl number 36. Which is my second pick of the week. Oh, yeah. It's written by Ryan North with art by Derek Charm and colors by Rico Renzi with letters by Travis Lanham. Well, letters... It says in the credits, so to speak. But the, I mean, there is a bunch of lettering that is done in here, and, and it it's is, great. Yeah, it's really, it's a really interesting way. This is a mostly silent issue, mostly silent, and a, I love a good silent issue. Back in two thousand two, we had mostly silent issues in what we called the Nuff Said month. That was, I think, February of two thousand two. Might have, those issues might have come out in two thousand one, but the, mm. the cover date, I believe, is two thousand two. That's really cool. But we had this Nuff Said Month, Exiles, I remember loving. It was like early in the Exiles run, so it was really good. Daredevil, New X-Men had a great issue, and X-Force. Those all stand out in my brain. Really cool. The remit for that month was like take yeah. some chances, do some different stuff with storytelling. That's cool. This is uh, – this is, so this one is just chock full of like fun gags about silence, a ton of wonderful uh, library, librarian, and reading puns. Just they're all over the place, which makes <laughs> me so happy. We talked about the neat lettering work and how the dialogue and sound comes across when it's not fully silent. It's not people talking, but it's – sort of a depiction of what is being said Mm -hmm. and using words in ways like the sound that people would make uh, if they were saying the things that they're saying just feels like noise. Right. Big kudos to Derek Charm because when you have little to no dialogue in a story uh, and no captions, so much of the storytelling and that, that onus has to be on the artist. It's all about the visuals. And whether it's the acting, the facial cues, the fun background gags, all the various things that the artist has to put in there, like it's all reliant on him. And he's such a great part of, of the team. So glad he was able to take this issue because, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and to be clear, we're not even seeing what characters are thinking. We're just seeing their logic playing out in real time. That was what was you know most impressive for me. You don't have to literally read their thoughts. You can see their thought process. You can see how they decide to solve this problem, how Doreen and uh, a few of the other uh, heroes that she comes across tackle this thing. And it, it's really, really, really unique. And there was even that one panel you just had open where it was Doreen, the look on her face is she's thinking about yeah. something. She, clicks her fingers, yeah. uh, like, oh, I got it. I know what I need to do. But no dialogue is said. It's all within a static image, and it's so well done. Mm-hmm. Up next is Venom, first host number three, written by Mike Costa, art by Mark Bagley and Ron Lim, inks by Andrew Hennessy and Scott Hanna, with Dono Sanchez Amara on colors and VCs Clayton Cows on the letters. Whether you're Cree or Skrull or human, 
You're all jerks. <laughs> Everyone's a jerk. That's my takeaway from this issue. The pendulum in the series has really swung uh, for me because I was on the side of the Kree soldier at the beginning of the, the, the storyline, and now he's kind of the monster, and the scroll soldier is someone we were starting to root for. Mm-hmm. But it, it was, it's really neat to see why she's fighting the fight she's fighting and then why the Kree soldier is after the symbiote. At least for now, what we get in this issue makes you know makes you start to think about who you you want to trust. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have monstrous action in the form of Weapon H number seven. It's written by Greg Pak, with art by Aria Anandito, colors by Murray Hallowell, and letters by VCs Joe Caramania. This for me is one of the best issues of Weapon H yet because we get really interesting glimpses into Clay's history in ways that we haven't necessarily seen before. Right from the start, he is teaming up with Captain America to take down some really gnarly-looking monsters. It's really cool, some great monster art in here. But what that means for Clay is that he's teaming up with this guy that he's idolized his entire life. We get little glimpses into the past and see how Cap was just a little presence and little moments in Clay's life that served as inspiration, kept him going in rough times. He was in jail when he was a kid and a tough home, so many different things. And now he's fighting alongside him. He's fighting along this living legend. And it really speaks to the power of Cap in that way. It's like if you and Gary Whitta went on like a Star Wars tour. Whoa. Oh, yeah. And yes, to see Clay uh, and Cap have these moments together, to see how not just Clay, uh, not only does he relate to Steve Rogers, It's really cool because he also relates to the monsters they're fighting. And there's a fascinating moment here where that kind of nexus comes to a head and we see the different kind of hero that Weapon H is and how he understands different things that someone like even Cap might not necessarily understand. So to see these two different almost genres clash and collide, this classic superhero character like Cap and then this more monstrous, crazy amalgam of Weapon H come together and really meld in really perfect ways was was really, really fun to read. Heck yeah. Up next is X-23, number four, and this is written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Juan Cabal, colors by Nolan Woodard, letters by Corey Petit. Juan Cabal and Nolan Woodard together are dynamite. Mm -hmm. So good. But to the story first, I want to hate the cuckoos for what they're doing in this story. You've got the Stepford cuckoos who, they were five, they're now three, they're trying to be five again, they maybe get to be four, but (laughs) how they're getting to that is difficult because they are going after Gabby and using her to put the consciousness of one of their own into Gabby's mind and Gabby's body. Um, You know, I want to hate them, but what they're doing is all for family. And, you know, you, you just you look on the other side of that coin, it's the extent of what Laura will do for Gabby, what Gabby will do for Laura is the same. You know, it's maybe not as far or as sinister as the Cuckoos, but it's still, it's a deep love and, and, and connection there. So you feel for these villains in this story. Um, but, man, the team here continuing to push with some of the gnarliest scenarios and and imagery in the book yet. We've got fractured, exposed bones Mm. and skin and muscle being burned away by energy. It's so finely detailed. Uh, I I love sound effects drawn into images. And in here, one of my favorite panels is we get to see this explosion that happens, this energy explosion. And you've got boom, 
B-W-O-O-M, into the background of the image. And then it's colored in only blue and white, really selling that explosion. It looks so awesome. And then the splash page of Gabby after the explosion, my goodness, Mm -hmm. it is haunting. Mm -hmm. It is terrifying. It is wonderful. This art team, as I said, they are untouchable right now. Moving from X-23 to another X-book, this is X-Men Blue, number 35. It's written by Colin Bunn with art by Marcus Toe, colors by Matt Mila, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue, crucially, takes place before the events of Extermination Number 1, all the good and bad stuff going on in Ed Brisson's book over there. But this issue actually has a really, really interesting kind of dynamic and narrative choice that Colin and the team take. We see a bunch of different characters having really intimate conversations. We start out with young Gene and adult Gene. There's so much there. There's so much history there. Uh, and we get little glimpses of that in every character on the squad. We see Beast having these really intimate conversations. But after we go from those kind of quiet, introspective talks, we flash to the future, this future that we have been discovering and uh, dreading in this story arc, surviving the experience. And we see this kind of terrible other side of things. We see these similar concepts explored, but in the death and destruction of the future that we have seen in this story so far. It's, it's really, really interesting to see the complexities of everything going on here because um, good or bad or nothing at all to come for certain characters is all handled so deftly. What I really loved about this issue, though, and I, what I know a lot of X fans will really love, is this fascinating kind of focus on young Scott Summers and older adult Scott Summers, who we have know, of course, falls into that nothing category. Really, really interesting stuff to see that zoomed in a little bit, analyzed, and we'll see how it affects all Slim moving forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We also have three True Believers issues out this week. Marvel Knights 20th Anniversary, Daredevil and Defenders number one. Marvel Knights 20th Anniversary, Jessica Jones, Alias by Bendis and Gatos, number one. And Marvel Knights 20th Anniversary, Luke Cage, Hero for Hire, number one. Those three issues each will cost you one single American dollar. Get you right into the thick of some cool stories. Collections on sale this week include Fantastic Four Masterworks Volume 20, Infinity Countdowns, perfect time to read that, Infinity Countdown Companion, Marvel Knights, Daredevil by Smith and Quesada, Guardian Devil, Star Wars, Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, Volume 3, The Burning Seas, Star Wars, Thrawn, Venom Adventures, Venom, Planet of the Symbiotes, and Venom, Tooth and Claw. Um, The Marvel app, a bunch of books that come into the collections, lots of Venom in there on the digital collection side. Hercules, Twilight of a God is pretty cool. X Campus is really neat. Uh, A bunch of other things. We'll make sure to put all those on the site for you guys to check out. Uh, And then in freshly digitized on Marvel Unlimited, plenty of books, lots of Doctor Strange from the 90s, a couple of annuals and a bunch of issues in there, Amazing Adventures, some issues from the 70s, which is really neat. The Amazing Adventures was the series in which Beast first blew himself. I became furry in that series. (laughs) So I, actually, I think it was Gray at that time. Oh, wow. First, Grayed himself. Wow. Uh, he furryized himself. A Hulk, a Hulk-esque gray to another color transition for Hank. Yes, <laughs> what you say, and uh, tons more. Check them out. We'll put the full list of all the comics on uh, Marvel.com with our news story for you guys to check out. That's it. We're done. Woo! More comics next week. 
They're always gonna be comics, Tucker. <laughs> I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.